You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So I am back from my jet-setting week. I had a wedding this week in Williamsburg. I had a bris, a circumcision, um, Wednesday morning. We'll talk about more in the next show. But uh, first things first, of course, always to be thankful, appreciate all that God does for us, at, like last week's Torah portion. Um, when Leah has her fourth son born, so she says, this time now, I'm going to thank God. So my son-in-law said, really very good. No, it's, you didn't thank God the first three times, your first three children, and Rashi comments that all the mothers had uh, what's called Ruach HaKodesh. They knew Jacob was going to have four wives and there'd be 12 children. So she figured four wives, three sons each. Now she had her fourth son. But my son-in-law said, very good, he said, you know, after a child is born and you, you, you just see all the miracles along the way, how God is taking care of you every single step, that you got to learn that even what we take for granted, even what seems to be normal, we still have to be able to thank God. It's not just for the over-the-top, but even the simple everyday stuff we take for granted, we always have to make sure we thank God. And therefore, as a reminder, I am thanking God. So as we say, thank you, Hashem. And with that being said, to all my dedicated listeners, I know, of course, you guys love the show, and I do need your help. You got to help the show spread. I need you to go to my homepage. Hit that donate button. Leave your name. I'll give you a shout out. You can do a memory of. Happy birthday. And of course, in advance, I do thank you. So today, when I was preparing, because I've been doing a lot of traveling, left um, Monday afternoon, flew flew Monday evening, then got a rental car. By the way, for those who don't know, if you fly into LaGuardia, which is in New York, and you go to get a rental car, don't take the shuttle. If you're in Terminal B, you just go out of the terminal, hang a right, walk down, the, it's like a big white sidewalk, to get to 94th Street, there's a walkway there, traffic lights cross, and you're at the rental car place Within minutes, I think under 10 minutes from when I was outside of the terminal. Otherwise, you're taking multiple shuttles. It'll take you half an hour. And they don't even drop you off right by the, by the car rental anyway. So just for your own personal knowledge, um, best thing, just walk, which is what I did. Um, okay, had the wedding, drove to New Jersey, to Lakewood. And then I, I did some observing of classes. I wanted to see how they, how they teach um, I just want to see other teachers like myself see what they do with their classes. 
And uh, then I took one from the airport, and then I came back. And so I've been running around. The Wednesday was a little better because I got to the airport early, but I've been typing up my notes for this week's Torah portion. I sort of did it, as we say, on the fly. That was not meant to be a pun. And I decided this week I'm going to do it different. I'm going to tell you the story. There's uh, multiple stories in this week's story portion. I'm going to tell you the story first, just a quick overview of the story. And then I want to break apart all the details so we can sort of uh, dig in and try to get a feeling for exactly what is going on. So I wanted to talk about the story of what they call Shrem and Dina. Dina is Jacob's daughter. Shrem is the son of the prince of that area. So Jacob's moved outside of a city called Shrem, the leader of Shrem. You want to call him a king, a prince, whatever he was. His name was Hamar, which is an interesting name for a king because Hamar means donkey. Um, his son is called Shrem. And like all princes, whatever the son wants, the father gives. So Jacob has moved into town. He's bought a small piece of property. His children, his sheep, he's moving in, settling in. And at this point, Jacob has 11 children. Benjamin has not as of yet been born. And Jacob has, at least according to the Torah, one daughter. Her name is Dina. It's Leah's daughter. Perhaps there's other children there's other daughters, but we only know of this Dina. She would be approximately six or seven years old. She was born um, at the end of the first 14 years. Jacob worked seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel. By the end of the 14th of those 14 years, these 12 children have been born, again, not Benjamin. Then Jacob will work for another six years. After six years, he leaves, he travels to Israel, and so Gira takes six years and a couple months. So that's how old we're talking about this Dina is. So Dina wants to check out what's going on, hang out with the girls, see who lives there, just check out the scene. So she goes, checks out the scene, Shrem sees her, he wants her, um, he kidnaps her. He rapes her, and interesting, but he loves her. He wants to marry her, but he doesn't let her go home. So he keeps her stored away. He then, Shrem then goes to his father and says, I want to marry this daughter of Jacob. We got to go tell Jacob he's got to let me marry his daughter. They go to meet Jacob. Jacob already knows what happened. Maybe it's the talk of the town. It would seem people already knew what happened. Hamar and Shem come to meet with Jacob. Jacob says nothing. He is quiet. Jacob's sons come home from the fields. It would seem surprising. Shem and Hamar, they thought they were dealing with Jacob on his own. Now the boys come home. And again, how old are these boys? 11, 12, 13. The three oldest. They're in that 11, 12, and 13-year-old range because we already discussed the 14 years. Um, no, it's so the first seven years they, Jacob wasn't married yet, then he gets married, there's, and he immediately has Ruvain and Shimon and then Levi, but that's during the 13-year swing that he's still by Lavan. The boys are furious, um, and they let Hamar and Shem see clearly that they are furious, but Jacob's not talking. 
Then Shrem, then Shimon and Levi tell Shrem, you know, you guys are not circumcised. We, the Jewish people, are circumcised. You are not circumcised. Um, our daughter can't marry you. Our sister can't marry you. Now, Shrem had offered to give a lot of money, to give a lot of money and a dowry, sort of a, a lot of money to Dina, and he's offered to let the 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 Shremites and the Jacob's children sort of intermarry with each other, and they'll be friendly and they'll do business in town. And the brothers don't really respond to that um, idea that we'll have money, we'll do business here, we'll marry your daughters, uh, we'll marry we'll marry your sons, daughters. Not so much of a good give and take. But they say, there's something that we can't handle. We are circumcised. You are uncircumcised. The Hebrew word for that is an oral, or you are a relim. Now again, it's interesting. They don't just say to Shem, you need to be circumcised. They say, we need your whole city to be circumcised. And if your whole city will circumcise, then we're willing to talk. We'll leave our, do- our sister with you. But otherwise, we are going to take our sister back and we're out of here. Shrem wants to marry Dina. He goes to his father and says, let's do it. What I want is we should be circumcised. The town should be circumcised. No big deal. So Shrem and Hamar go. They circumcise themselves. They convince the entire town to get themselves circumcised. And on the third day after everybody's circumcised themselves, Shimon and Levi go into the city. Again, they're 11 and 12 years old, but clearly not your regular 11 and 12-year-old. They get their swords, and they wipe out the entire male population. Then they go take Dina home, and they go back to their father Jacob. When their father Jacob sees them, that they've wiped out the city, he says, what are you people thinking? Like, he's trying to start a war? Like, what are you doing? And they say, we cannot allow this embarrassment that our sisters should be treated like a zaino, like a, a harlot. Um, we had no choice. And that's the end of the conversation. So that's, in a nutshell, the story. I'm going to give you a bunch of questions to think about, and then we're going to try to break apart these questions. I sort of wrote down the list of questions. right? In other words, first we need to know what Shem wanted. Like, why is he begging Jacob? What's going on? Jacob doesn't answer. The sons do answer. I asked my class, I said, um, the commentaries say when Abraham's servant, Eliezer, went to get Rebekah, so it says, Lavan spoke before his father, and therefore it must be if it's when a son speaks before the father, the son is called wicked. Oh, so Lavan is wicked because he spoke before his father. But Shimon and Levi are not wicked. Didn't they also speak before their father? Okay, so we need to know why they're talking first. We need to know why Jacob is quiet. We need to understand why Shem agrees to this. We need to understand what were the brothers thinking, which I think that's pretty um, um, apparent. Um, but what? why the city agree? Like, just because... Jacob's sons have a plan. When everybody's circumcised, they'll be weak. We can go kill them. Uh, why should they agree to circumcision? Like, why? The, they're not suspicious? Like, what are they thinking? 
did Jacob understand this was the plan? And if Jacob understood that this was the plan, so why is he so angry at uh, the brothers? And the final question, and this is a very famous question which with a lot of uh, different answers, and that is, how do you go wipe out a whole town? You want to say, Shem kidnapped your sister, he raped your sister, no problem. Go kill Shem. I got no problem with that. What the rest of the city do? Okay. Now, let's take the story over, slowly figure out what's going on. So, Dina goes out. Shrem sees her. You know, the idea of a girl going out into a foreign um, town not knowing what kind of people these are, not being told you don't uh, just walk around because there's monsters like Shrem, seems to be she was more than just a little bit naive. But okay, so Shrem kidnaps her, he rapes her. That's clear. What's fascinating is that after he rapes her, he loves her. He, he desires her. Now, this, they, they talk about the, the Jewish people are intrinsically holy. And for a nation that's intrinsically holy to have relations, anyone from one nation to have relations with a nation that's not holy or does not have a circumcision, automatically creates some level of impurity. There's a, it's not a good connection. But once the, the, the non-circumcised, once the oral acts as relations with the, with the holy, in this case Dina, so all of a sudden she's not as holy. Now there's a connection. And that's what Shem wanted. He said, oh, now we, we, we have a better connection. She's not so holy. Now I love her. Now I want to hang out with her. So he has to go get Jacob's permission, right? Otherwise, Jacob's family is just going to come and take her back. Now he really wants her. But we have this problem because at the end of the day, he is from an unholy nation and she is from a holy nation. How do, how do we deal with this? So he has to come and he decides that if he can get Jacob's permission, he's already, um, he's already made her impure. So now he just needs the father's permission so he doesn't grab her and take her back. But Jacob doesn't answer because the truth is that this was so over the top, so completely unacceptable. And really in those days, it wasn't something that they, it sounds like it wasn't something at least was considered common. They just take a girl off the street, drag her by the hair, bring her home and say, you're my wife. It seems it wasn't, you didn't do that. And again, and, and this is Jacob's nation is holy the Shemites are obviously not. And it's so just out of the realm of reality, Jacob says nothing. There is no answer. There is nothing Shem could possibly offer Jacob that Jacob would say yes. It's impossible. Impossible. I mean, I guess if Shem would have offered, you know, I'll become Jewish, I'll circumcise, I'll convert, I'll become one of your family, perhaps Jacob would have listened. Perhaps. But Shem's offering money. You offer me money? It's a, this is a holy, unholy issue. Not a money issue. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. So Shem is so far removed from being part of Jacob's family, there's nothing to answer. It's, it's completely irrelevant. You have nothing to offer me. You are not even speaking my language. You don't speak my language, so I'm not going to talk to you.
The sons, interesting enough, I saw the Alshech says that the sons are also embarrassed. You should do this to our sister. How dare you do this to our sister? So this, so for the sons, the embarrassment um, that Shrem has caused in Jacob's family against the brothers, that the brothers can deal with. The embarrassment done to Jacob, there's no dealing with. There's nothing that we could do to Shrem that would take care of what Shrem did to Jacob. There's nothing. What was done to the brothers, we can kill the city, that'll take care of it. Sounds a little bit off the cuff, but seems to be what's going on over here. So now, the sons can now answer, because Jacob is not answering. Unlike the story with Lovan and his father, that Lovan answers first, they actually said the same answer. They said, we see it's coming from God, nothing we could say. So they're saying the same answer, so you let a father answer before a son. Here, Jacob has, there's no answer that's even, that's relative. There's no answer that Jacob can give because there's no answer. Because Shem and Jacob are on a different uh, plane. So therefore, Jacob's not answering. So therefore, the sons can answer. Now, Jacob hears the sons say, let everybody get circumcised. So in Jacob's mind, what the brothers meant was, the city will be weak. They won't be able to fight. When everybody's lying in bed, not feeling well, we will go into the palace. We will take our sister. We will bring her home and we will leave. End of story. That's exactly what Jacob thought the brothers were doing. He had no idea. He had no inkling, no clue that the brothers were planning on a on a uh, on an annihilation, if that's a good word, of the entire city. So therefore, he keeps quiet. So what happens? So, so they're telling Shrem, "You need to be circumcised." Okay, I understand that you want to circumcise um, Shrem because it's a. The verse says, it's like an embarrassment that our sister should marry somebody who's uncircumcised. It's embarrassing. It's, a, it's just totally inappropriate. So good. So let Shrem become circumcised. What, what, what are you talking about the city? And again, it's the same question. And why would the city go along with it? Right? In other words, Shrem, you want to hang out with Jacob's daughters, so you get circumcised. And if we want to marry any of Jacob's daughters, we'll also circumcise. But do we all have to circumcise? And what if we don't plan on marrying anybody in Jacob's family? Then what are you going to tell us? Like, like what, what gives? Right? I'm not interested. So forget that the city probably didn't understand that the idea was to weaken them and then kill them. Because we have to assume if they had an inkling of that plan, they would have said no for sure. Right? That's stupid. I hope. I don't really care, but like, whatever. But what were the people thinking? So it's very, very interesting. It happens to be in the Talmud that I was studying last week. A non-Jew that gets himself circumcised, like Arabs. Arabs are circumcised. But they, but just because they cut off that piece of skin does not make them circumcised. A circumcision is officially a treaty between the Jewish people and God. You can't just make a treaty with somebody if they didn't offer you to be in on the treaty, right? So just because they cut off that piece of skin, that foreskin as it's called, has nothing to do with being circumcised. To be circumcised, you have to be Jewish and you get the circumcision. By the way, if a Jewish person would be a hemophiliac and it would be dangerous to be circumcised, he's still considered circumcised for certain things. 
a non-Jew who's circumcised is not called circumcised. Now, it would seem, according to Al-Sheikh, that they were explaining to Shem, you getting the circumcision, just doing that act of cutting off some foreskin, has no value. It is worth zero. You're still considered uncircumcised. Who cares? The flap of skin's not there. Who cares? The only way you could possibly be considered circumcised is if your whole city circumcises, the whole nation, the whole Shemite nation. If they circumcise, then perhaps we can consider that all, that you are circumcised. Now, it's not good enough. We're not talking about just getting off a piece of skin over here. We're talking about that you need the title of being circumcised. For you to have the title of being circumcised, your whole nation, your whole extended Shemite nation has to be circumcised. That's what Shem understood the brothers wanted. And that's what he tells his nation. He says, we can't marry them. It's either all or nothing. As by all is being circumcised, then they'll look at us as we are a circumcised nation, and then we can marry them. But otherwise, I can't marry Dina. None of you can ever choose to marry any of them because we're not. it's either all or nothing. And that they were in agreement with. Now, it happens to be debatable if that would even work. But that was the message that the, the brothers were giving over to Shrem. And even though it's trickery, but Jacob's okay with it. <laughs> you kidnapped my daughter. I'm getting my daughter back. So if I have to trick you to get my daughter back, I don't care. It's your problem. The, and, and that's why after they wipe out the city, that's why Jacob is so incensed. He says, you're putting us in a, in a parent's position. We're a small family. right? Everybody knows that famous um, uh, prophecy that the Jewish people are eventually going to conquer the land of Israel. <laughs> I have twelve. I have eleven boys, and the oldest is all of uh, bar mitzvah. He's all of thirteen. So what's going to happen if uh, they see us wiping out cities? They're going to think that we're trying to conquer Israel. We're not ready to conquer Israel yet. We're we're a teeny little family. So that's why Jacob is all upset. But what were the brothers thinking? What were the brothers thinking? How could they just go and murder an entire city? This. It's a very, very famous question. And there's multiple answers. There's no question that Shem deserves to be, deserves a death penalty. He, um, he, he kidnapped Tina. And that's one of the seven Noahide laws, kidnapping. Uh, he, that, he can get a death penalty for it. What everybody else do wrong? So someone would say what he did wrong was that they're all idol worshippers. The difficulty with saying they're all idol worshippers is, great, they're all idol worshippers. The brothers are not walking around killing everybody. They're not wiping out the whole nation. So when I can pick and choose who I want to wipe out, that's ridiculous. I'm not allowed to do that. Again, some say you could. Others say they were complicit. In other words, they knew what Shrem did. And they didn't care. So that attitude cannot be allowed to exist. In other words, we're supposed to have laws. The seven Ohio laws, for the most part, are to make sure you can have a society where they don't just all destroy each other. You need laws, and you can't steal, and you can't rob, and murder, and, and okay, and idol worship, and killing, and, and uh, <clears throat> a few other ones. But... It, 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 those are those are mostly those are laws that society can exist. 
So those are all laws for society to exist. So you're not you're not allowing society to exist. You're going ahead and you're letting somebody start uh, raping and kidnapping. So then there's no there's no law and order. There's no law and order. Then the world will just go crazy. And on that, the brothers felt they could wipe out. Um, they could wipe out the city of Shrem. Now, it seems like Jacob does not really argue this point. Jacob is not arguing this point. Some say a little different that one of the seven Noahide laws is to create laws. You need courts. You need a court system. If you're not going to have a court system, then uh, again, you can't have a you can't have a society. Aye, and there goes the music. So we're going to end it with that. The music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Of course, I have to thank all our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.